This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And you've just stepped off a flight in the wee small hours of this morning. So you're, I think you're, you're kind of working on fumes at this point. <laughs> I thank you for that with the bottom of my heart. Thank you for popping in. No problem. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout out uh, to uh, a team of individuals uh, responsible for you being here. Uh, Green Park Global. Let's go there first and foremost, of course. Uh, litigation finance specialist here in Dubai. They are the guys that have kind of welcomed you into, I, I guess, their home in a lot of respects to get you out here for this week. You're going to be a busy boy. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a nice association with Green Park Global. Um, we're coming out here to, to offer our services, really, to the kids out here, but also to the business sector as well. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're out for seven days, I think. Yeah, you are, and you're being kept busy. Yes, in yes that the itinerary is full, but it's uh, good that's though. the way I like it. Of yeah. course it is. Uh, I should point out that you and I are going to be in conversation at the Pavilion Emirates Golf Club this coming Sunday. Tickets still available, folks. You can pop along to DubaiGolf.com forward slash Mike Feel. And we're going to be in stage for about an hour building up to the Manchester Derby and then it's a watch along it's a watch along I'm sure Mike a bit like me we're going to be watching this through the cracks in our fingers <laughs> Old Trafford is that fair to say? Yeah I'm sure it is yeah I think uh, I think the form's not very good at United results yeah, they're, they're there, but the form's not good. City, on the other hand, they're the team to beat. If you they want to win the are. league, they're the team to beat. They certainly are, and we're going to delve it's into this. It's going to be this. interesting on Sunday. It, it will be, it certainly. And listen, games are not won on paper, as you well know. So, right. you know, whenever United are in action, you always still think they've got a chance. You give them a chance. We'll preview that one in just a few moments' time. That's not the only thing you're doing this week. Wednesday morning, back down there at Emirates Golf Club, there's a leadership breakfast. Tell us more about that. Yeah, this is something that uh, I've really got myself interested in apart from the coaching we're finding or I'm finding that there's a lot of relationship between sport and business you know one sport brings people to the table because we've all got opinions in sport no matter what it is whether it's football soccer you know cricket whatever you want to call it but I think it relates to to the business sector as well you know from a a leadership point of view you know team organizations and and in general just just really getting down to the nitty-gritty of of team building and things like that so we'll be talking about all those things and presenting on on those things and that is open to the wider public as well we're imploring an awful lot of you to come on down to that on Wednesday morning yeah well I'm sure you can pick up things and and learn things from that and, and and just see how how close closely related it can be but but also it's a case of you know I can sometimes reinforce things that people are thinking and doing and and, and come from a different angle but in over overall it, it seems the same absolutely and it's not just about the companies you're also dealing an awful lot with the kids out here I know you're visiting Cognita James you've got a relationship there as well and a, a man that you know well Kirk Hilton is going to be receiving a visit from you down at GoPro as well so you are busy yeah but that's that's the beauty of of being involved in sport all this time you know 40 40 years now you know since I left school at 17 I won't give away my age but I'm, <laughs> I'm knocking on a little bit but uh, but yeah sport sport's been my life and and meeting people talking about sport giving a little bit back to the kids and, and getting involved in the education sector which is which is wonderful in all seriousness how, how much are you enjoying it because uh, I guess for, for anyone that perhaps doesn't know your story you've been in and around football as you say 40 plus years your last full-time role from a footballing standpoint was working with Oli at yes. Man United since then Mike I, I mean are you missing it are you enjoying this new chapter in your life 
Every time I do a little bit more around the football world or I go to watch a couple of games here and there, which I haven't done a lot of, but when I have, I start to get that tingle again. You know, it's, it, it never leaves you. But actually, I've found now in the past 12, 15 months that there is something else going on out there. I'm not in that sort of bubble where I'm being told to do this, told to do that, get results, these types of things. I have my own calendar now, my own diary, which is wonderful. My wife loves it. I can see my grandchildren a bit more. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be able to wake up in the morning sometimes and have breakfast at home and it's great to be home at night and not in a hotel or not travelling everywhere so yeah parts of me are missing it but but in the main I'm occupied which is good you said it there Mike it's refreshing not having to chase a result Give us an insight into what that is like. You, you've played the game as a, as a professional player, as a coach as well. That pressure of trying to, at a club the size of Man United, get a result. Yeah, it's it comes in, in, in different ways, a result. You know, there's results sort of at the training complex. You know, every day you're working with people, so a result is making them better giving them information, helping them with the careers, you know, making it progress. And then there's the, the actual competition, which is the biggest factor. That's what you're there for. That's what you get paid for, is for the result. You know, everybody says it's a result-based industry, and it is, but, you know, you've got to get the enjoyment out of that, which is winning more than you lose, having better Saturday nights than, than poor Sunday mornings. Yeah. <laughs> Although we played three day, we were playing three days a week, so they could drop at any time. Saturday was actually a good time to have a game, but uh, we very rarely played on a Saturday. Nope, probably I know Sundays that. and Mondays. And, but yeah, result, results are what's behind it, but it's the adrenaline, it's, it's the build-up, it's the training, it's the coaching, it's, it's making sure that everybody's prepared and you've prepared your team to get the result that all the supporters want, you know, and that's, that's a win. But a performance is, is vitally important as well. I often hear people in the world of business and sports say it's important that you enjoy the process, not just the conclusion or the outcome. For you, did you enjoy that Monday to Friday or, or did you get your true enjoyment on a Saturday or, in, as you say, they're probably more likely a Sunday, watching <laughs> the, kind of, you know, the, the, the work that you'd done during that week come to fruition on match day? Yeah, I, I always felt... It was something going into the game as a player and then a coach and then sort of manager, assistant manager was was a blessing really. You know, it was something that I'd, I'd done straight from school. That was my involvement with sport, it was football. So to be involved in a football club and in the early part of my career, you know, to be sort of ex-player, learning how to coach and then actually take it take it to the next level which is to do it you know it's all right and learning about it and putting on little sessions but then actually getting into the thick of it and doing it and that was really start of my journey but then you start to learn how to coach how to accept result how to accept failure all these types of things um which which when I sort of got a little bit older the experiences were there so it does change the way you think about the game you know from the point of view of Sir Alex in, in Sir Alex's days and he was 25 years non-stop at United you know I played for him I coached with him I was assistant manager so I had that longevity to work to learn to build then obviously there's a bit of chaos in there as well <laughs> where you, you drop out of that and move around a little bit and then you find out what the real world is about and what the game is about but it's still part of the experience and then when you, when you get that bit older you can accept you can accept certain things but you get a little bit more impatient. Of as course you, get older. you do. As you do. I know that feeling myself. Mike, as, as I get older with two little ones now, I'm far more input, impatient than I was, <laughs> say, 10, 15 years ago. Let me ask you this question. 
your playing career or your coaching career, what did you enjoy most? Our playing's the best. It is. Playing's the best. You know, even now when I look back and, and I finished at 30, 31, 32, but I went straight from playing into coaching, or I was player coaching sort of thing, which I could still I could still put the boots on and do a little bit and then coach people and probably join in with them. So that's the way I, I learned really how to coach. Then I came away from that and I started to think, well, they're getting a little bit better than me now. I'm getting a little bit older. Let's leave it to, the, to, the, to those players. And then you really start to learn. So playing, playing's magnificent. I mean, you're fit as a flea. You can do things. You can burn the candle at both ends if you want, you know, and still get away with it. But it's wonderful feeling that to be fit, healthy, and doing something that you really, really enjoy. Then coaching's far more depth to it. You got you can't think about yourself anymore. Really, you have to think about others, uh, which I tried to do very early on. Not easy, but. I coach like a player, really, what a player would want. And then I developed to be a coach, if that makes sense, yeah. where you start thinking about putting it all together and what it really means and what the individual's like and the collective's like and then the team. But then also you learn to manage people. You learn to manage up and down, you know, which was the role that I took up as an assistant. So all, all different challenges and different experiences. You've alluded to the fact that Sir Alex, you, you've seen many different sides of that man because he signed you in 1989 as a player you then become a coach in 2001 assistant in 2008 if memory serves I'm a bit of an anorak I think it was about that talk to us about that relationship that special bond that you have with Sir Alex and how it kind of meandered and and how it perhaps matured over the years well as a a player he obviously took me from Norwich Um, and it was an opportunity to... Uh, I could have stayed in Norwich for the rest of my life. It was wonderful. You know, it was a great place to, to bring up a family. I was just, just married, just starting uh, a family. So that was... It was a perfect situation. Then all of a sudden, a Manchester United come knocking on the door and you think, well, that's going back to where I'm from. It's a big club. I didn't realise how big it was until I actually signed there, but I just felt, yeah, I've got to, I've got to try this. If I don't try this, I'll probably look back and regret that so join them as a player he, co- he didn't have to convince me I mean it was just it was just one of those conversations where you know when can we get started so I, I played there for five years and then obviously that that uh, that petered out a little bit you know the class of 92 came along and I was long in the tooth <laughs> then so the young ones took over uh, and I moved on I moved on for a couple of years um, and then decided coaching was the route I wanted to go in so I I took up coaching sort of as an ex-player I went back to Norwich for a little period of time then I got into the assistant role at uh, Blackpool and Stockport County which was a great learning curve for me but then all of a sudden Stockport County and you know what it's like in the game you're no longer good enough to be a coach you you sort of moved on to pastures new sacked in other words Uh, and the best thing that ever happened to me was Stockport doing that really because then little phone call from Sir Alex again come and have a chat and I walked out of there with a, the offer of a job, which was great. I mean, I I just went in for a chat and a cup of tea with him and put me straight on a few things, and there you go. You know, it's a conversation where he just he just says to me, "I'd like you to come in and take the what was then the reserve team, coach them. You can still do a little bit with them, but you know exactly what I expect and all that." So, so it was a great opportunity, and it just blossomed from there. What was it that, that Fergie looked for, Mike? Obviously, you, you, you know your, your coaching badge, your coaching resume stands up uh, against anyone's. In terms of 
the, the individuals that Sir Alex surrounded himself with. Was it important to be a better man than it was a better coach? Um, that's a good question, that, because at the time... I went for the conversation, you know, and then we, we're just talking about things all, all football, Stockport, Blackpool, little experiences of coaching. And then when he drops that one in, that I'd like you to come back and be a coach, you start to think, why, you know, <laughs> why me? And, and really, the, it came down to the fact that I think I'd played there. I understood, you know, the standards, the expectation. And to give me the role of a sort of a second team coach was a good one because it was still part of that adjusting to up and coming talent and, and talent that's in the top end but he's probably drifting yeah. down a little bit so getting to know you know these these characters and putting a team together and, and, and coaching and his advice to me was I want you to coach you know and I was sort of naive at the time saying well how do you want me to coach and he's <laughs> gone well I'm employing you to be the coach so you coach I'll manage you coach and it was perfect it was perfect he gave me that Authority to do that and to, to pick things up. But what he did say was challenge them every day, make sure that they learn something, make sure that they want to come back and do it again the next day. And if I could do that, then you know we'll get on all right, sort of thing. But he was a great, he was a great leader. He's a great guy above you to give you that respect. You know, and we had little conversations here and there. But but all in all, it was just get on with the job. Yeah, I'm sure you've had this question a million times before, you know, the the genius of Fergie. You know, I've said it so many times on my show, I think the word genius is used all too often. And, you know, it's a story I've actually reflected on quite a bit. I had the, the very fortunate experience of, of sitting down with Pep Guardiola and having a long conversation with him. And I asked him about his leadership style. And he kind of rolled his eyes. He said, what do you think my leadership style is? And I said, well, it looks to me as if you give an awful lot of responsibility to your players and you're hard on them. And he said, well, yes, to a point. But he's always asked what his leadership style is. And he says, the honest answer is, I'm a chameleon. Because he said, you, the media, and in Pep's own way, you know, he's grabbing me and he's, he's doing that. He says, you, the media, are our worst enemies. Why? <laughs> because you forget that football players are human beings first. So my leadership style, Chris, it changes on a daily basis. On a Monday, my players may need me to be hard on them. On a Tuesday, Kevin De Bruyne might need me to be soft because you aren't aware of what's happening in his life. He may have a family member who's ill, a young kid who's suffering school problems. Whatever the case may be, you in the media don't see that. So my leadership style has to evolve with the human beings around me. Is that a kind of key factor? Is that what made Fergie I think such a great leader as well? You, 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 you mentioned something there, evolve. And when you're, when you're working for somebody for so long, you do see a transformation in that person and in yourself. You definitely see that. But from, you know, from, from Sir Alex's time there, we're talking 20-plus years. So, yes, you can work, you can evolve with him, but what he did, he generated an interest all the time, an, an interest from the point of view that you were never safe, you never felt as though you'd... You know, you you were safe in that environment. There was like a fear there that no, you're here to do the job, you're here to do the work, develop, produce, and win. You know, and that mentality creeps into your psyche a little bit. And also because I think a good leader trusts you, gives you a lot of faith. Yeah. And 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 having that faith in you means you don't want to disappoint. 
you don't want to disappoint that person. And he evolved over a period of time from, you know, the well-known hairdryer treatment to being an angry man every day to, <laughs> to mellowing out a little bit and having, and having good days, uh, more good days than bad days, you know. But it, but it was a great transformation from his part because he delegated really well and I was part of that delegation. So the team behind the team was ever-changing, but he gave you that security to do your work. And uh, ultimately, his decisions were the final decisions. Absolutely, but, yeah. But I think in conversations and opinions, he valued. So, yeah, for me, you know, timing's everything, I suppose. And, and, and maybe I just arrived at the right time for me and possibly the right time for him. I've never really asked him. I've never really had that conversation. Why me? Why did you choose me at the time you did? You know, I, don't, I didn't think it was relevant. The fact is, you were there. Yeah. And every day you were there, you must have been doing something okay because, you know, he, he did have his moments when you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember there's very famous footage. Of course, I'm from the northeast of Scotland. And, and, of course, a lot of people forget Fergie had eight years at Aberdeen Football That's Club, right. three league titles. He won the Cup Winners' Cup in 83, of course, uh, that great Aberdeen team that beat Real Madrid. The last team, incidentally, to beat Real Madrid in a major European final. I've got to remember that. But I remember the famous scenes of Fergie leading a jog down Union Street, one of the main streets up there in Aberdeen. And then fast forward the best part of 30 years, you know, from dealing with a largely Scottish squad to dealing with Portuguese, yeah. Brazilians, yeah. you know, Danish, a, a real cosmopolitan squad. Well, Mike. this was the adaptation of the man, you know, that uh, first of all, once he got those overseas players in, you know, they struggled to understand it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, the accent, the accent was, uh, was pretty sharp, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, he... he he managed to find a way through that and, and he brought in good players, good players with a will to win in, in the style of his own making, I suppose. And there's a lot of times throughout his management where he would go back to those days, you know, the days of when he was growing up, when he was playing, you know, when he was Aberdeen as manager and, and, and winning those things. So all of his experiences came out at Manchester United and created more experiences. So, yeah, his tools of the trade, you know, widely known, you know, that he... Uh, he was tough. He was definitely tough, but he was fair. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I look at your, yourself. Obviously, 89 joining Man United, that squad that you walked into. And then if I fast forward to, for me, arguably the best squad that maybe Man United have ever had, 2008 and 2009. I mean, you could have easily rolled out two teams yeah. in those seasons when you look at the bench and, and players that didn't even make the bench right. for the 2008 and 2009 Champions League finals. And then fast forward to your spell with Oli and looking at the makeup of the squad then. How has football evolved? How has the football player evolved, Mike? Yeah, it has evolved, and it's evolved pretty quickly. Uh, you know, sometimes things are a natural progression. They come along slowly, and, you, you know, you, you, you're building blocks all the time. I think there was a point in time when it happened pretty, pretty rapid, uh, and it had to because demands were, were far greater. One of the instances, you know, and I talk about this quite a bit, is the the sort of interaction with the phone yeah. uh, and media and the internet, all these things, which which really speed up things, really speed up, you know, what you're doing, how you're doing it, what's the result, all the all the chaos from that sort of thing, and it's all immediate. Whereas in the early part of it, it was all a gradual build up. You know, you, you knew what was coming sometimes, so you could head it off a little bit. Now it's automatic. It's there. You know, like we're doing the interview now, 
and wow, it's out there. It's it could be live, it could be immediate. Yeah. So then there's reaction, immediate reaction. Even though we we, we still it, well now you're playing and everything's going on whilst you're playing, so you're getting interaction and reaction. So it's creating this this global. Uh, sport, which is automatic now, it's in overdrive, and we know that once it's started, it's very hard to pull in the range. And and do you see a difference in the players, like the, the young players of today, for example? You know, I, I use Marcus Rashford as the case in point. You know, a, a Marcus Rashford, fifteen years ago under Fergie, I think is a very different Marcus Rashford. You know, if Marcus Rashford, 30 years ago, going back to your days, and there'll be people listening to this saying, well, that's just obvious, Chris, we're moving with the times, but I just wonder, as you as a coach, how you've had to adapt to these players. Are they, put yeah, like this, you, are they softer today? If I could put an analogy in there, you're treading on eggshells a little bit more, you know, and, and the things that possibly you want to do, you have to temper a little bit, depending on the circumstances you find yourself in. And also, I think now... There's more consequence to your actions now than ever before. You know, it's not just a case of being a fan's favourite. You know, you play the game, you've got your mates, you go and have a drink with them maybe. You know, you socialise with them now. You don't get the opportunity sometimes to do that, you know, with with the games and playing every three days. There's, there's less downtime than ever before. So you actually... You're in a you're in a bowl, really. You know, you're in a glass bowl now, where everybody's looking in, and you're trying to get out there and show your personality a little bit. With that in mind, then, Mike, were you yourself during your time with Ollie? Were, were you the true Mike feeling, or did you feel that you were having to, to your words, temper who you yeah. really are? Yeah, there were moments like that when um, when I, I mentioned before about getting a little bit older, a little bit wiser, uh, less patient. <laughs> You know, I I definitely when I went back the second time I wanted it pretty quick. You know, I felt I was knocking on a bit and how many more years have I got to do this and and I was getting probably to that stage where I wanted quicker decisions. I wasn't prepared to wait, you know, and uh, and I'm pushing in that direction. You know, I'm listening to things in, in, in rooms and I'm not quite on that wavelength and, and that's difficult. I understood it, but I wasn't prepared sometimes to accept that. You know, because it is difficult. It's difficult the way different regimes work, you yeah. know, and, 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 and how they see it. And I, I also, you know, you mentioned process. I understand process, but I'm not a lover of process. I'm more a lover of strategy. What is the strategy? Where are we going with this? Because if you say to me, I want to win the Premier League, yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah. How are we going to do it is exactly. my next question. And, and where are we going with this? You know, not let's... Let's wait, and it, it will come later. And, and because football has definitely changed from that point of view, that the competition is greater. You know, so if you if you fall behind that competition, you've got to be pretty radical yeah. to, to change it and, and get back on that uh, get back on that wheel. Now I appreciate you're not part of the club anymore. You are like us all a fan looking <laughs> in from the, the 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 outside. But you know, what do you make? of Eric Ten Hag's kind of tenure thus far. It's been, and I'll say it for you, it's been a pretty frustrating start to the campaign. I'm, I'm kind of not really sure which direction we're headed. How, how do you assess it? Well, I understand the difficulties that uh, any manager would have at, at Manchester United. I think they're well played out, not just with the current manager, but the past ones as well. You know, we talk about Sir Alex, 25 years maybe, non-stop, and then... Well, if we count them on one hand, five managers in, in the next few years after that. So that just tells you how it's changed. I think all you can do is take over with the, the reins with what you've got, 
last year they seemed to achieve a lot more than probably um, they could have done. But this year, expectations have been raised. They've got back into the Champions League. They haven't started that very well, even though they got the first result the other night, which I, I actually went to. That's the first game I went back to. What was it? Um, it was interesting. Did you fall asleep halfway through the first half? <laughs> it was half? an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. They got... They got uh, well, they got, they got lucky with the, yeah, they uh, did. With the penalty save. Uh, performance wasn't great, but then you listen. You, when you when you're sitting in that crowd, you're listening to the, the noise, if there is any, and and the angst that's there. And then you listen to conversations outside the ground afterwards because people say hi of to course. you. And, and yeah, there's a lot of disappointment there from from supporters because they expect more, and and deservedly so. I'm going to ask you a real nerdy question here. You know, one of my big kind of pet peeves. I, I'm watching this United team at the minute, Mike, and immediately I'm transported back to the Louis Van Hal days. I'm not seeing much. I remember the, the days of you being in, as a coach with, with Sir Alex, a visiting goalkeeper would be a busy boy on a Saturday <laughs> or a Sunday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday whenever it is a lot of goalkeepers are getting the deck chairs out at Old Trafford at this moment in time there's not an awful lot of cut and thrust in the final third for me so as a coach because they often say the hardest thing in football is to stick the ball yeah. in the back of the net as a coach how do you set about Monday to Friday getting those little patterns, getting the players in the same wavelength to cut through. You know, we call it now low blocks. It's just def- teams defending deep, for goodness <laughs> sake. But how do we set about doing it? Because right now, there looks to be a major issue with Man United in the final third. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of changes in coaching now as well. And the understanding of coaching or the philosophy. You know, we heard a lot about philosophies of coaching and, and every coach has a philosophy and what have you. But I think... From my point of view, in, in, in my time, it was more about identity. What's your identity? What's your thought process on the club that you're working for? So you think of Manchester United, the players that have played there, before I even arrived as a player. You know, you think of your best, your Lowe's, your Charlton's, and then there's others to add to that. They're just the three that get mentioned all the time. Yeah. Then there's loads more. Then there's always been Ronaldo's, Rooney's, Tevez, Scholes, Books, Beckham's. All, all coming from this point of view of open attacking football then coaches come along and coaches complicate it a little bit you know but they have to have a strategy they have to have a tactic and, and, and a belief in what they're doing Ten Hag's happen to be you know pretty Dutch theory lots of possession you know forward thinking when it matters but don't overcomplicate it yeah. these types of things but when you put that together in a Manchester United environment where these supporters have demanded and demanded more open attacking football and goals. I mean, we we would go into games, you know, it doesn't matter. There could be 10 goals in the game as long as, you know, we won 6-4, it didn't matter. You know, it, was, it was that type of that atmosphere. Um, so I think possibly they've been spoiled a little bit and now reality's done because teams are better, yeah. better organised. But, you could still find a way to uh, to make it more open and entertaining, and score goals. Oh, scoring please. scoring goals is the ultimate. You know, you have to be committed to scoring yeah. goals. And, and right now we're just not creating enough. I've got to have a quick word on a man that you know well. You had him at Hull City back in the 2016-17 season. Harry Maguire. I want an honest answer <laughs> for this question. Would you have ever thought that Harry Maguire would go on to play for Man United some six, seven years ago? Um, when I was at Hull, I actually. I, I sort of put his name forward from Did you? from from that point of view. I mean, I remember Harry. I went with Steve Bruce to, to Hull as his assistant, and Harry was brought in 
by a really experienced ex-manager scout called Stanton End, who spotted him at Sheffield. And he was playing midfield then at Sheffield, like a, a deep sitting midfield. Declan Rice type. Kind, yeah, yeah, kind of, where, he, you know, his football, his football did the talking, really. You know, he could pass the ball, control the ball, he had physical capabilities. And then he came to Hull as a centre-back. Steve liked him a lot. Steve liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. The season that I became manager, Harry came back pre-season injured, believe it or not. Some tennis, playing tennis <laughs> in his spare time in Mallorca. Yeah, and it was in my it was in my starting plans, but I had to rejig that when he came back. And he said, "Oh my, my ankle's sore." And da, da, da. so I never really got much out of Harry in that short spell that I was manager at Hull. But you could see in Harry there was football in him, definite football brain, definite football ability, and he was going to go. He was going to go beyond. Going to Manchester United, yeah, he was part of the reason why I, I mentioned him to Ollie. You know, I don't hide behind that fact because at that moment in time, he's playing at Leicester. He's, he's, he's you know, one of the best centre-backs in the country. And I wasn't in charge of the fee, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but as a player, I recommend the player. You like them. You know? uh, so, so Harry came in, and to be honest, he's been, he's been magnificent. He's been great to work with. And obviously he became captain and then obviously he's had his trials and yeah. tribulations since then. But one thing that Harry always had was character and personality. And I think he showed that in the whole time he's been going through this difficult period. I think that's something that's quietly missing in the game right now. And he's, you know, he's producing. The, the criticism, Mike, I mean, you, you, you're long in the tooth, as you say. You, you've seen players come and go. You've seen players not simply able to cut it in the cutthroat environment yeah. of playing at the Theatre of Dreams and, and playing for a club, the, the stature of Man United. Has it gone a, a little bit above and beyond this criticism of Harry, or is this just there's, the age There's that always we... criticism, and I think every player knows that it's, it's, it's just round the corner. <laughs> you know? uh, performances help, but also selection helps, and a change of opinion doesn't help sometimes you know and uh, and I think new managers coming in they all have different ways of doing things um, I think it's been well documented that he hasn't been part of Ten Hag's plans but he's actually come through that yeah. and now he is part of Ten Hag's plans because he's performing and he's producing and he's keeping his head up do you know what I mean he's not letting you know that noise out there really really get to him I, I bet it hasn't been easy you know I bet if he's honest it's been very very difficult but He's still been there. He's still being selected, and he's popping up with some goals now. So, yes. uh, so it's uh, it's changed. It's definitely changed. And one man, I guess, who there's a bit of comparison there. You know, Harry's coming for criticism, as Ollie did during his spell in charge. Was it warranted, in your opinion, Mike? Do, do you think that Ollie and the job that you and, and Michael and, and Kieran and we'll touch on them in just a moment, and the jobs that they're doing at Middlesbrough and Ipswich, respectively, you know, they are really doing something with those two clubs. But what was? Do you feel that the criticism that came your way was a little overboard? Um. Criticism is, yeah, it's difficult sometimes to to acknowledge criticism. Uh, I think constructive criticism is better, but criticism in general is just a waste of time. Um, when Ollie came back in and I went back with him, we actually hit the ground running. It was incredible the start we got, you know, and we all we changed was this identity and who you're playing for, and it's Manchester United, and we just got the the whole environment buzzing again from what seemed to be quite flat. Yeah. So we went on a massive, massive run of of wins, you know, and uh, probably too quickly, you know. Sometimes these things can happen against you, but then when it settled down, yeah, it was 
you know, there were moments when we didn't perform well. There were moments when we did play really well and didn't get anything for it. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what goes on in the background of football clubs at times. Um, there was a bit of dissatisfaction, or seemed to be. And I don't blame the media all the time, but in some occasions I think they can manipulate that to a degree, which suits themselves. Uh, but on, all, all in all, I thought Ollie's performance as a as a coach, as a manager, and how he worked with a, quite a young staff in Michael Carrick and Kieran and and um, and, and a couple of others. Richard Hartis came in, who he'd, he'd worked with before. The balance was good. You know, I was the old stager. I was the guy in the background that was trying to knit it together and make sure, make sure we were pushing in the right direction. So I had I had quite a different role to the previous roles I'd had, um, and it came down to results really. I mean, we had a couple of games where Man City were flying; they were the team to beat, still are. Liverpool were flying; they were, you know, our yeah. our sort of uh, neighbours. More so from the supporters' point of view than say a Man City and what have you, and we lost those two games. Um, we didn't perform very well. Then the Watford game crept in, yeah. And you know the result itself, the scoreline didn't suggest the performance was was that bad. It, it all happened in five minutes, but it was sort of a build up to everything else. And you know what it's like. Then somebody pulls the plug and and you start again. So all in all, I thought Ollie's attitude to it was terrific. Um, He's forever an optimist, Ollie. <laughs> he loves everybody. Um, I think he gelled a few players together and uh, he dealt with issues that came his way really, really well. Um, it's just disappointing when you want somebody to do more that um, he was restricted in that and that he didn't get the opportunity to do it. Could you trust the dressing room? I know that's quite a pointed question, Mike, but you know, I, I've never seen Man United leak like a sieve that they do these days with the press. And I know it's a 24-7 news cycle. I know social media. I know we're dealing with different humans, but you know, I, I go back to it. Fergie days, not a story would leak out of that football club. Now, cheapers. I don't know how many moles are at that football club. Did, <laughs> did you get that feeling, though, that you're looking around that change room thinking... I'm not sure I can. I can no, if I put my spots. players' head on here, I would never, I would never sort of criticise players publicly. You know, you you deal with things in house. You know, it, it, it stays in. You know, what's, it's got to. What uh, I think that's massively important. I think there was a lot of things that were inherited. It's like an inherited sort of environment sometimes, and it does take time to change that. Players are players at the end of the day, and we've talked about you know multimedia and, and and they are brands in their own right now, and they have people around them which work for them. So it's very difficult now to manage everybody because you know the hardest ones to manage are the ones that are not playing. Yeah, <laughs> that's always been the case. Um, so yeah, they have their agendas. I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but certainly in a dressing room. When you're all in there and you're all pulling in the right direction, I think it's it's a magnificent feeling that it certainly happened because the leadership was strong, um, and Fergie did did keep that very very tight. But it was a, a, a slightly different environment f on the outside. You know, yeah. the noise. We talk about this a lot now. The noise from the outside can penetrate you sometimes, but there were times when you can keep it at bay. But you can't avoid. You can't avoid this sort of interaction now with your phone and interaction with people but it's there and you have to deal with it but I think all in all players have to understand the consequences of those actions as well absolutely listen last few from me I can't let you go I've got so many questions as a Man United fan I want to ask the defeat that rankled most with you 
because uh, you know 2009 final in Rome 2011 at Wembley again another Champions League final against Barcelona there's there's a lot of conjecture around that I remember the Real Madrid defeat at Old Trafford as well the nanny Send red card off. the Turkish ref never in a month of Tuesdays was that a red card and of course that was Fergie's final swan song season is there a defeat that still you lie in bed and you wake up and you think we should never have lost that um, actual game I don't think I can recall an actual game moments I can I can sort of talk to you about which were Barcelona for one but, which one oh nine well all of them really because we always felt certainly Sir Alex did and I, and, and I did in, in conversation that we should have done more we should have won more European Cups you know, we always felt as though we were in it to win it, and we let ourselves down a couple of times. The Barcelona games were always, there were always a, a discussion about how do we take Barcelona on, because Barcelona at the time were the team. I mean, magnificent the players they had, um, and we knew that they could dictate games and everything like that. So you could have an attitude, and we had these discussions, an attitude of. Do we stay back behind the ball? Do we defend deep, as you say? Do we really, you know, defend with eleven players and and, and let's stay in our own half and then counter attack when we can and this that, and the other? But it all boiled down to no, we have to take them on. <laughs> you know, we're Man United. We, we've got our own sort of tradition of playing, and and we have to be open and we have to take them on. And really that was the most difficult thing to do and we had spells in all yeah. the games we had serious spells but they didn't last long enough uh, and so those big games were the games that you always felt as though did we get it right how did we get it right did it work yeah it worked for 10 minutes but there's 70 others to go yeah. and, you know and, and it was that type of attitude but deep down we were satisfied that we, we showed our identity it just wasn't Good enough on the on the on the day. I remember '09. Uh, I always cursed the referee in the semi-final because Darren Fletcher won the ball against right. Cesc Fabregas. It was the penalty, wasn't yeah. it? He was yeah. given his marching orders, and I remember thinking, "Listen, Darren's not the most glitzy and glamorous of footballers, as we all know, but he was tailor-made." for Barcelona Owen Hargreaves was injured of course he didn't see much action that season in 09 but they were two players I just kept saying if we had Hargreaves and Fletcher for Barca in Rome we would have had a better chance because they were suited to what Barcelona tried to do yeah and that's that's the case in any competition it's what you've got available at the time you know and how you try and plan that but you can't plan for injuries or you, you certainly can't plan for suspensions no. unless they're stupid suspensions you know where you've got yourself in trouble but we we suffered a few decisions against you know you talked about the nanny one oh. in one of the games the Madrid game that completely changed the game we took off you know if I think about it we probably took our eye off the ball a little bit for five minutes after that sending off and they scored straight from it and, and then you were the better team it dampened our appetite a little bit because you're chasing the game um but all these are moments in time you know they're all moments in the game and and it just shows you how the small detail matters right at the end and, and, and that nanny sending off was I thought was was pretty crucial yeah I you agree know, in, in, in that sort of situation but it happened and you have to live with it and uh, and certainly Nanny Nanny felt you know he, he, he felt bad about that like, uh, you know he, it was just one of the moments where you think really can yeah. that be possible and uh, referee's decisions go against you sometimes as ask, well as for you let me ask you this one Mike again personal one and I appreciate we're wrapping up shortly who was the player that you enjoyed working with the most oh I've worked with I know I've you have I've worked with some seriously decent players 
I always go back to Paul Scholes, you know, as a as a person, a character, but as a he didn't have to coach Paul Scholes really. He had this ability to create and change games and and make the tempo of the game the way he wanted to play it. His intelligence was good. But mainly with Paul Scholes, it was more of a chat. It was more of a sit down, let's talk about this, what do you think of that? Um, and then he would he would fit into his way of playing. So coaching him wasn't critical because he had all the ingredients, you know, it was, it was there. But the beauty of it was he was easy to talk to, very easy to talk to, and he would try something, and if it worked, he would use it. If it didn't, he'd dismiss it. And then there are others, of course. We, we can't go without talking about Ronaldo. Yeah. Ronaldo was fabulous, fabulous footballer, set massive high standards. Then you've got Roy Keynes and people like that who set massive standards, Gary Neville. So, in a way, I could say I was blessed to, to be around those those types of players, you know, and, 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 and add a little bit. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't make Ronaldo a player. I didn't make Roy Keane a player, that's for sure. I didn't make these. But what I did... I offered a little bit. I offered my little bit, and and I enjoyed. Of, yeah. I enjoyed it as, as as much as anybody else. But but certainly, your Ronaldo's were were challenging because their level of of attention to detail and ability they demanded of you. Yeah, and it made me better. It actually made me think about what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it. Now, you know, some coaches are very attentive to detail, and some coaches are quite in the background sort of thing. You know, they will offer advice and the service as and when it's needed you know because we're talking here top level we're not talking we're not talking development sort of areas here these are players that have got all the skills there we just need as coaches to knit that together and make sure that they can perform and show all this ability on the big stage did you mike always know it was a privilege to work for man united yes Every day, yeah. It was a, to be honest. It's been a privilege to work in football, of course. You know, and I'm uh, to be a player and a coach, an assistant and a manager. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty thorough. That, you know and, what and I mean? And the, I, I loved it all the time. And I never, I never actually felt the pre- You know, people talk about pressure. I never really felt the pressure. I just felt as though it was another day to go to work and try and do more, try and do better. Yeah, I didn't like losing. No, of course you don't. But the, it was something that. Nobody could take away from me. Well, eventually they do because they sack you. You know, what I mean? but, <laughs> but you're still you're still a football player, still a football coach, you're still a football manager in your own mind. You know, I've spoken to a lot of the old United boys, obviously, and, and Robin van Persie. Been fortunate to catch up with Robin. The, the day that the gaffer decides to quit, I remember. I remember that as if it was yesterday. Did he tell you privately? My second time. Well, the, the, well, that <laughs> as well. Good. He was going before, of course, 2 you're right. And then the second time when he said, listen, Cathy's sister, I want to take the opportunity. Yeah, I, um, I remember the morning I was driving in, actually, the morning very early, because Sir Alex was always in earlier than everybody. But I was, I was probably an hour on from him sort of thing, you know. And uh, I remember the radio was sort of talking about an announcement at, uh, at Carrington, the training ground. And I thought, strange that, you know, Sir Alex has got an announcement and what have you. And you know when you're driving, you're putting two and two together because you've been in his company and what have you. And uh, when I got into the training ground, he, he, he pulled me and spoke to me. He'd already spoke to some, I think, two other coaches at the time, but he called me and he just said, yeah, it's, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't 
ready to do it that day, but I think it was starting to, it was starting to sort of gather momentum. So, so he, he spoke with the players, then he spoke to, well, he obviously spoke to his staff, spoke to the players, and then he released the, the stuff. And to be honest, I, I, was quietly, I was quietly away, glad for him in a way, because he put a lot in. You could see that, you know, he's, he's getting tireder. You know what I mean? You, you could just see that in in his general demeanour, um, and I just think he he'd reached that point of you know I can't do any more. I don't I don't know. I've never really had that conversation with him. All other than that moment, he said, "Yeah, I've done enough. I've had a good one, and uh, and let's see what what happens next." And and it was a case of that. I wasn't I wasn't sort of going down that road of oh you can't do this and, and, and this that and the other no, I, I respected that I respected his decision um, and, and and I couldn't do any more than that and I, I just supported him till the end and then we, we sort of decide where do we go from here you know and you stay in touch oh yes yeah I, not as much as, as as I have done in this past 15 months but yeah I text him and, and, and things like that and you know he's going through a little bit of a period of now which um, I'm sure he'll he'll handle um, with his family and what have you but uh, yeah it's great to you know it's 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 great to have a distance between you sometimes because then when you do get oh, together yeah. Yeah. it's like yesterday I don't it's hard to explain that but but there is a moment where if you were in each other's pockets it doesn't quite fit and and can I ask my and I didn't want to whinge and mourn about no, everything of that's you going didn't. on at the club but, now <laughs> but that relationship will have Sir Alex is it still do you slip back into talking football talking shop well, a lot of my experience is because of Sir Alex, so so I you know I have a lot to be thankful for. So when when you know things happen now in the game, and I listen to radio, I listen to watch TV, I go, I go to the odd game here and there. Um, yeah, I can. It takes me into that mode again. It takes me into them discussions we yeah. used to have and those feelings we used to have. And you know, yes, I can back away from it and not take it personally anymore. But you want to do it. You want to live it. You want to live it again, and those are the things you can live it through. So when you meet ex-players, when you meet players you've coached, when you meet coaches that you've been involved with, both together and against, it just it starts it all over again, you know. And what I what you do realise is, all coaches, all managers, all players, they're all going through the same thing. Oh yes, we've just frilled them up a little <laughs> bit differently, exactly. you know. Yeah. And uh, and but all the experiences are. Yeah, slightly different, more modern, I suppose, but they've happened before. Yeah. They usually have happened before. So you, you're a wise old owl and you can sometimes calm things down when everybody's losing it a little bit. Well, listen, we've only scratched the surface. I should point out, people might be thinking, why on earth do I need to come down to Emirates Golf Club on Sunday? Trust me, I've got loads more questions for Mike. <laughs> We're going to be uh, scratching uh, a little bit deeper, getting a little bit deeper, finding out one or two of those anecdotes from the dressing room, the inner sanctum of the dressing room on Sunday at uh, 5.45 through till 6.45 down there at the Pavilion at Emirates uh, Golf Club on Sunday. You want to be popping on down. A reminder again, DubaiGolf.com forward slash Mike feeling, there's tables of four, there's individual tickets, bring your buddies down it's going to be a cracking atmosphere down there I'm dreading the game, I'll be honest with you Mike, as much as I am an optimistic Man United fan, I'm absolutely dreading it, we are awful, I'll say it you don't have to, we are awful right now City coming to town 
Well, this, but pre, this pre-game, post-game, exactly. whatever goes on in the middle happens, we can't control that. So <laughs> Exactly uh, that. So, but we could talk about it. Exactly that. And of course, listen, I've got a little semblance of it. You love talking about leadership. Wednesday, next Wednesday morning, Emirates Golf Club, you and your good friend Dave, you're going to be talking about leadership and some of the lessons taken from an institution like Man United and how it can be transferred. Yeah, it'd be an interesting world. subject and uh, hopefully many people can pop down and just pick up one or two absolutely one or two things that might be uh, on their radar so yeah it should be a really nice uh, a nice Cheap, cheapest chips as well 150 dirhams you get a free buffet breakfast in there as well and you get to listen to Dave and Mike well. you get yeah. fed honestly we do it proper <laughs> over here in Dubai 150 dirhams folks I'll say it again at dubaigolf.com forward slash Mike Phelan for all the details and again a massive thanks to Green Park Global uh, for their support in Mike's endeavours over the course of the next week and let me just say Mike thank you so much I, I said half an hour you've given me 48 minutes this evening of your time so thank you so Fergie much time. You got, uh, uh, exactly you got, it's us Scots three minutes extra I got about 19 <laughs> minutes extra which Fergie tends to get on occasion as well but Mike bless you my man stay safe no and good luck with the rest of the week The Offscript Podcast We hope that you enjoyed this episode please do go ahead and click subscribe you can also check out our other podcasts Time Capsule or The Big Interview find it wherever you get your podcasts You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.